Welcome to Closer to the Phenotype, a podcast where scientists discuss and debate new discoveries in published research with a focus on the use of metabolomics to drive multiomics forward. Each episode, we'll discuss a recent publication and dive into the research with a scientific expert or two. I'm your host, Bobby Wiggs. Today, I'm joined by Tom Willemansky, Dennis Mook, and Alex Forrest Hay. And today we're going to talk about gut microbiome pattern reflects healthy aging and predicts extended survival in humans. Tom, you're first author on this paper, so I'm going to let you go first. Please give us a brief introduction and tell us about yourself. Uh, Hi, Bobby. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm a research fellow at the Institute for Systems Biology, and I work in the group of Leroy Hood and Nathan Price. And our, our lab group really revolves around trying to understand wellness and health in the context of multiomic measurements. And I, in particular, focus on the gut microbiome. So I think I'll talk a little bit about the paper, but this is some of our work uh, involving the gut microbiome and aging and whether there's a healthy aging trajectory within the gut microbiome. Awesome. There's some really great work coming out of uh, your lab. I've seen a lot of it, and there's some really awesome stuff coming out of that. Alex, how about you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, no problem, Bobby. Thanks. Uh, hi, everybody. So my name is Alex Forrest Hay. I currently work for uh, Metabolon. Um, my position is the, the Vice President of Population Health. So uh, I've been there about three and a half years and uh, have the privilege to get involved in a lot of large-scale population studies, uh, integrating metabolomics into uh, healthcare programs like the one that uh, you know, they are developing at ISB. Um, before Metabolon, I was working uh, at Affymetrix for probably about 10 years, um, where my background was mainly in genetics, so in integrating genetics into large-scale population studies. And so I've got a real interest in sort of the integration of multi-omic data sets and prediction of health outcomes. Um, and we've done this at a pretty large scale now uh, at Metabolon, and this is a really nice example. Uh, the work that they've been doing at ISB is a great example of how this can, uh, can be applied. Great. Dennis, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Dennis Mokkanamori. I'm an epidemiologist and a family tech practice physician. And I've been uh, working with uh, Metabolon for uh, about one and a half years as a, a part-time clinical research consultant. And before that, I was a, a long-term client of Metabolon and used uh, its data for mostly researching cardiometabolic diseases and looking for biomarkers of various aspects of diabetes and uh, cardiovascular disease. Excellent. Well, I am really excited about today's podcast, and I'm excited to have you all on. And uh, Tom, I'm going to let you kick us off. Can you tell us a bit about uh, your paper and uh, what you were what you're trying to achieve and what your research was about? Uh, sure. Uh, I think I'll start off with a bit of a background why we were actually interested in this research question in the first place. And it stems from some of the previous work that shows this interesting dichotomy in terms of the gut microbiome and aging. Uh, the present paradigm sort of presents that the gut microbiome remains relatively stable throughout adulthood and into old age. And around old age, which isn't very specific in terms of where 65 or 70 year, years old, we start to see these gradual compositional changes. And they've been tied to, for example, frailty as individuals get more frail with age. Usually their diversity of the microbiome starts decreasing. Also, older individuals who enter long-term care facilities, they show this very steady shift in gut microbiome composition associated with the duration of stay in the care facility. And that's kind of been this paradigm that you your gut microbiome remains relatively stable until with deteriorating health and certain changes in lifestyle, it starts to 
slowly decrease or decline in older age. Uh, but this has been opposed by several studies looking at centenarians, so people who've achieved extreme age, 100 plus years old, all around the world, where you actually see quite the opposite. Their microbiomes aren't similar to younger adults, and they're also not similar to elderly individuals with comorbidities. They're almost on their own unique path where we often see higher alpha diversity and this decline in what is considered the core microbiota or the microbes shared among most of us or all of us. And this was kind of the premise of if we have large enough cohorts spanning the whole adult lifespan and we have all these deeply phenotype measurements of uh, blood metabolites, of health measures, of demographics, can we make sense of these differences in aging patterns and can we identify potentially new aging trajectories in the gut microbiome? Uh, and that's what we did. We looked at one cohort that we've been studying for a while, which is the Araville cohort, which, which comes from a scientific wellness company where we collected dense data on thousands of individuals. But we also paired it with this older cohort of elderly men, the Mr. Ross cohort or the osteoporotic fractures in men cohort. And this cohort, at the time of gut microbiome sampling, everyone in the cohort was 78 years or older, uh, with the maximum age achieved at the time of sampling was, I believe, 98 years old. Uh, in short, what we noticed is that around middle age or 40 to 50 years of age, this gradual pattern emerges in the gut microbiome. And it's this pattern of your gut microbiome becoming increasingly unique as you get older. And this is characterized by this depletion of the core microbes we all share. And this was present in the Araville cohort. It was present in different gut microbiome vendors we use for the Araville cohort. But interestingly, it also translated to this older cohort of older men with the caveat that it only occurred in the healthy individuals. So because this is a well-characterized cohort, there are a variety of health measures that were collected on these individuals. And this allowed us to classify them as either healthy or unhealthy in terms of um, their independence, their uh, physical ability, number of medications they took. In every case, the healthy individuals showed the same aging trajectory of becoming more and more unique as you get older, while the less healthy individuals just showed pretty much a flat line. There was no association with age. Uh, I think perhaps the kicker, this bonus of this whole analysis was that we had longitudinal follow-up data on, this old, on these older individuals. And we were able to show that either if, if you're more unique when the gut microbiome sample was taken, or if you have this depletion in core microbes, in this case, bacteroides was what we really focused on, since that's the most predominant microbe in the Western world. In both cases, if you either retained your core bacteroides abundance or you showed lower uniqueness, uh, you were more likely to die in the course of four-year follow-up, suggesting that this may be somewhat indicative of longevity. And this is quite a long-winded explanation, but I think I'll just finish that. We had a variety of measures that we could um, analyze to see what does this pattern, how is this pattern reflected in host physiology? Uh, and pretty much the only luck we had was with plasma metabolomics, uh, which was very specific to microbial metabolites. So plasma metabolites found in the plasma, but synthesized by the gut microbiome. So this opened up a, a variety of possibilities. Um, and maybe I'll end there for now and let someone else talk for a little bit.
Yeah, Dennis, you know, I think this brings up an interesting point. Dennis, a lot of your research is focused on aging and, and metabolism. Can you tell us a bit about how this dovetails with what you're working on and, and what you see? We're working on a metabolic clock using metabolomics from uh, Metabolon. And um, we're trying to find uh, a, a biological age as opposed to a chronological age. And um, this fits very similarly. Um, I think that uh, a omic readout of healthy aging will uh, be very similar to an omic readout of your biological age. Um, I think that if you are, um, if you have a healthy um, biological age versus your chronological age, you probably will just become older and you won't die as soon. And um, so we're trying to find this readout of what metabolites um, are uh, correlated to your uh, biological age using the Metabolon data set. And um, we need the, the nice thing about the study that was performed was that it, it used these big numbers. And that's really unique. Um, what makes this study really unique? It had both the deep phenotyping um, with multi-omics but it also had the big numbers. And that's what we're doing now. We're doing it in a, in a, in a cohort of 10,000 individuals with Metabolon data. And that's what makes um, uh, this study so, so good is that it had the power, the statistical power to find these uh, associations because the studies before done are, are, are rather small and uh, they, they, the findings are kind of suggestive. But this, this study that was, uh, that was just described really shows that um, this uh, uh, uniqueness um, can be seen in the metabol in the uh, in the blood metabolites and um, uh, and can also be predictive of healthy aging, which is 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 quite an amazing finding. Alex, you're the population health expert. Anything to add there? No, I just think that the this whole sort of concept of being able to predict health outcomes by looking at you know deep phenotyping is is really going to have a massive impact on the on the future of healthcare. And I think what's really interesting about this is that you're able to uh, you know associate uh, known poor health outcomes like you know diabetes and uh, you know chronic diseases like that with a an older biological age or you know an increased biological age over your chronological age. So I think there's a lot of applications here. Um, by using this data that could really have an impact. And, and the other interesting thing, I think, is that based on the data that's been published also by, by, the, by the Institute of Systems Biology, that when you, when you look at, you can actually change your lifestyle and, and have an influence on your biological age. And I think that's really significant because a lot of the information right now that we're trying to uh, deal with in, in, in the healthcare sector is difficult to interpret and also not really actionable. And in this case, you know, you can look at metabolite and microbiome potential signatures that, that point to significant health outcomes, but then also uh, I think they've demonstrated quite nicely that you can change your lifestyle and, and reduce that. So it's a real measure of health uh, that I think could be really useful uh, moving forward um, on a sort of a widespread application of this. You know, and, and one of the cool things, this is Dennis again, one of the cool things that I really um, like about this is a, as a general practitioner, we give lifestyle interventions all the time. And um, some of the lifestyle interventions um, work and some of them don't. But 
what does work mean? What does what does what does it mean that if you work out or or you eat healthy, and um, you see a change? And usually we look at body mass index, or we look at cholesterol levels, or we look at blood pressure. Um, I think that what Tom shows in this paper is that there might be a, a completely different layer that you can be looking at. And um, if we somehow could quantify in the coming years what uh, the microbiome, uh, what a healthy microbiome is, um, and it, it could be something that you can monitor over time and that a physician can actually say, okay, well, your BMI might be the same and your blood pressure actually is about the same, but look at what's happened to your microbiome. Um, you've really increased your uniqueness. Uh, this is great. That would be something that I think that's something that obviously is very hypothetical at the moment. Uh, but it, I think the, the current work is showing promise. Uh, and that's, um, I think, where I would hope that uh, medicine goes to in the coming decade. Tom, what do you think about that? Is that where we're headed? Uh, I, I think so. And I also hope so. Um, thank you, Dennis. And I, I agree with a lot of the things you said. One challenge we have in the gut microbiome field, which I think we're getting closer and closer to overcoming, is how do we actually define a healthy gut microbiome? There's been several papers and several studies showing that consistently there's certain diseases that are associated with changes in the gut microbiome. But when you translate those findings into other po populations or other countries around the world, oftentimes you don't reproduce the same findings. It's not the same microbes involved. The whole ecosystem is very different if you sample people from China versus people in the U.S. But the association between disease is consistent. We believe in our group that plasma metabolomics and the metabolic output of the gut microbiome that we actually see in the plasma, all the various small molecular weight metabolites, it can actually get us much closer to defining more universal definitions of a healthy gut microbiome than just looking at the gut microbiome alone, if that makes sense. Well, if I may plug the podcast name, you also sit closer to the phenotype of age. Would you agree with that, Dennis? I think, um, yes, absolutely. Met met metabolomics could be closer, but I think you're going to need, I think we're going to have to understand it a little better. And I think I could also see a situation that you actually need both, um, that you need the, metabolo uh, the metabolome and the gut microbiome. I think we're still, as Tom says, in a very early stage. Um, the paper showed several pathways that are influenced, but um, I think we need to really quantify what is a healthy biological age in an omics fashion. What, what does that mean? I mean, this is going to take uh, a lot of effort in the coming years. And, uh, but papers like this is absolutely a breakthrough, and it really gives you a, a much better idea of where, what a healthy metabolome might be. As a reminder, this is Closer to the Phenotype. I'm your host, Bobby Wiggs. Today, I'm joined by three scientists who are discussing gut microbiome and its relationship to aging. Now back to the podcast. Tom, I think one of the interesting things about your cohort is that you have deep phenotypic associations on all these individuals. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, and we are reasonably powered as well with um, our sample size close to 
4,000 individuals with gut microbiome data. But what we've also been doing quite successfully is collaborating with other research groups that have complementary cohorts. And although perhaps the deep phenotyping doesn't always overlap, we were able to validate a lot of our findings in the Mr. Ross cohort or in other cohorts we've been collaborating That's with. That's really cool. I was, I was wondering, Tom, did you... Uh, so you obviously saw these amazing associations between the gut microbiome and your um, healthy aging. Um, did you run any? Did you try to do any prediction modeling? How well did the the gut microbiome actually predict aging, healthy aging? Uh, so we haven't done that uh, yet, and it's been quite a controversial. Uh, area of research in the gut microbiome world. A few months ago, I think one of the first papers came out that used uh, neural nets to predict biological age from the gut microbiome. Uh, but there are some issues with the study where various cohorts of different ages were used. So there are some batch effects. From my understanding and from people who've done this a bit more rigorously, there hasn't been much success in predicting biological age from the gut microbiome. I think that's where the I think the multiomics and the metabolomics can really kick in, because from the models that we are running at, at the moment, um, we're seeing a predicted age. Uh, this is of above 0.8, and that's our the R squared that we're getting, um, which I think is is really good, right? So I think if you can predict an age with with those kinds of um, R squareds. And I think that's where the combination of the microbiome and the and the metabolome will really start uh, showing it, uh, uh, its utility. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. I think most interpretations of the gut microbiome within the context of metabolomics just results in much more consistent and stronger uh, associations. What what I also found fascinating in your paper was the the gender yeah. difference. Yeah. Or, yeah, can, can you can you tell us about it? And I, I have a couple of questions maybe about it. Mm -hmm. I wrote that down too to talk about, yeah. Uh, sure. So uh, one of the analyses we've done in the paper I've been discussing is are there actual sex differences in the rate at which our gut microbiomes become more unique? And the premise for that was uh, it's quite consistent in literature that women on average live longer than men. They also generally tend to be healthier. So we want to see if this pattern is associated with healthy aging and is associated with longevity. Are certain sex differences apparent even at a much earlier age? And indeed, that's what we saw when we run uh, linear models. We've noticed that women's... Uh, become unique at a faster rate, about a 50% faster rate in terms of their gut microbiome than men. And this starts in midlife. And I wish we had more insight beyond that, but that's that's pretty much as far as our observation has gone. It's All of this is relatively new and we just we don't know exactly what's driving it or what could explain these sex differences. So so my, my first question is this, I'd love to this to be the cause of that women are getting older than men. Um, that would be the holy grail. But is this, what, do you dare to speculate if this, is this a cause or an effect? Yeah, that's a, I'm, potentially it could actually be a bit of both. It definitely is interesting that this uniqueness pattern emerges at a very specific time 
in life, which is midlife, where women and both men go through several different physiological changes, menopause, andropause being one of them. Um, and that's also when we first see this gut microbiome pattern. What's causing what is still relatively uncertain, but even though it may be major physiological patterns that initially drive this gut microbiome trajectory, but then the gut microbiome trajectory itself may be contributing to better immune function, better health as we progress forward, as we age. That's probably where I would, where my belief is at right now. So my, my head's having a little difficulty sort of balancing the fact that, so you've, we've demonstrated that the more diverse your microbiome is, generally the better your health outcomes. And you, you guys published in that as well, being mm-hmm. able to predict that sort of alpha diversity in your microbiome. And then at a certain point in your lifespan, your, your microbiome starts to essentially become less diverse or become more unique. And, and, you know, if you track that, the point at which that starts to happen, or can, can you be accurate enough to track when that starts to happen? Does that correlate with worse or better health outcomes in later life? Or are you able to kind of comment on this idea of having a unique microbiome, which is linked to longevity, but also having a diverse microbiome, which is linked to longevity. So I'm just, you know, how do I kind of balance those two things up? Uh, Sure. Yeah, that's a great question, Alex. And actually, it's interesting because we actually adjust our models for alpha diversity, partially because when your microbiome is more diverse, you you generally have more rare species present and you're actually more likely to be unique than someone with a less diverse microbiome. So the diversity and the uniqueness actually go a little bit hand in hand. Uh, so I wouldn't oh, say they're necessarily opposing each other. Yeah, it's like a, it's almost counterintuitive, but I can see. Yeah, that's interesting. And what, what, what I think is interesting in our analysis is that we were actually able to separate the two. There's been several studies showing that centenarians have higher alpha diversity than uh, younger elderly individuals. And we saw some of the similar trends where alpha diversity was weakly associated with age. But we really wanted to see if this beta diversity approach of how different you are from other people, not just how diverse your microbiome is, how does that relate to aging? And when we adjusted for alpha diversity in our models, this uniqueness was a much stronger pattern, although all related. So I guess the more diverse your microbiome, the more opportunity is for it to be unique as you age. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You have a a broader microbiome to start with. And then, yeah. Tom, I noted that in your paper, you studied folks who have, or older who've entered long-term care facilities or hospitals. You noticed that the uniqueness of their microbiome went down. Is there a way that we could modify and fix that? Is there something that people could do? Is it entirely related to their lifestyle? Is it nutrition-based? Can you give us some additional insight on that, please? So from our analysis, it's quite apparent that at an older age, if your lifestyle, if you're less functionally independent, if you're less mobile, less um, involved in daily activities, this pattern is no longer apparent. If there, there's some lifestyle factor that can actually promote the uniqueness, it's at this point, we're, we just don't know. But definitely there's this in aging, once you start, once your health starts or your independence starts to decrease, the pattern pretty much stops, which gives us some indication that this potentially could be modifiable through, modifiable through lifestyle interventions. Bobby, if I can add something to the dietary component, since my background is uh, in nutrition science, 
it's one of the dimensions we really try to dive into to better understand this uniqueness pattern and what's driving it. Um, but somewhat in contrast to these studies in assisted care facilities and other elderly cohorts, we actually saw very little correspondence between our uniqueness trajectory and dietary habits, which was quite surprising and we aren't sure what to make of it yet. That, that is surprising. I mean, I, I guess there are those, those folks who just eat whatever they want and live forever. <laughs> Dennis, what are your thoughts and experience with this? Yeah, when I when I when I keep hearing this um, these stories about you know pharmaceuticals influencing your your gut microbiome, I I of course I see it in the daily clinic you know um, whether it's antibiotics or or uh, from from my personal hobby diabetes I see of course uh, metformin which is uh, notorious for its uh, gastrointestinal side effects at the beginning, I, I really am very excited about um, how um, the gut microbiome um, might be able to uh, be a readout of um, how you react to medication. Um, and I was wondering if you had any, th- I have a lot of thoughts on that, um, but I was wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Uh, sure. Uh, so I, I think that's one of the next frontiers in terms of the potential of gut microbiome in clinical settings. There's been several papers in the past few years that really nicely outline all the various drug microbiome connections, the various microbes that can metabolize drugs. I think the next step and what some of the individuals in our institute are working, including Sean Gibbons and Christian Diener, is can we actually... Uh, model or predict personalized drug response based on individual gut microbiomes. Uh, And to this end, we use several different techniques, including experimental approaches, what are called ex vivo experiments, where you take a stool sample and you measure its metabolic production and uh, utilization outside the body, and also couple this with your classic approaches of taking stool samples from individuals. I think at this point, we're just not there yet, but I, I, I can't imagine this in the next few years being uh, something very feasible where your gut microbiome is sequenced and its metabolic capacity is modeled and investigated. And then your drugs and your prescription medications are, um, I guess the doctor can actually consider what medications to prescribe and how are they going to work based on the capacity of your gut microbiome. Maybe not in the next few years, but I, I definitely see this as this cool future dimension to uh, clinical care. There's so many interesting sort of preliminary data suggesting that you know the microbiome could predict response to immunotherapeutic agents, but also I think there was a paper this week um, that showed that potentially the microbiome could be a good biomarker for predicting severity of COVID-19. Obviously, very topical, and so I think that's a very interesting area as well to see whether you know, certain individuals may develop, you know, uh, more chronic conditions from infection, uh, but depending, depending on their microbiome. And uh, that certainly seems to be an interesting topic as well. Yeah, Alex, that's actually very fascinating. And I think that's another dimension that's even separate from the question of how does the gut microbiome metabolize drugs is, can we use the gut microbiome as this readout or imprint of the host immune system? And the studies you mentioned in terms of, for example, PD-1 therapy in some cancers, 
that seems to be the case. We can look at the gut microbiome, we can infer certain things about that person's immune system, and then cater treatment or uh, identify risk factors for that individual. It's a very cool area of research. Yeah, and then if there was a potential intervention at that point to modify the microbiome, to create a microbiome that was more, you know, more supportive of a particular response to a drug, then that would obviously be very significant, you know, as well as being a predictive biomarker, it could also, if you can alter the microbiome to have certain characteristics, it could then be, you know, a treatment uh, that a patient could be given. So a very exciting potential area that I think. No, I agree. Yeah, I, th- th- that would be that would be the golden standard, right, where we can actually start modifying the gut microbiome to improve health in such a meaningful yeah. way, like preventing COVID or preventing other chronic conditions. As a reminder, this is Closer to the Phenotype. I'm your host, Bobby Wiggs. Today, I'm joined by three scientists who are discussing gut microbiome and its relationship to aging. Now back to the podcast. So I, I was going to ask this question, and Dennis, I think, um, you know, we'll start with you here. How, how do you think this influences drug development? So we were talking a lot about how the drugs influence the gut microbiome, and maybe you'll have tailored uh, solutions as to what drugs you take. So your doctor might tell you, you know, take this drug or don't take this drug based on your gut microbiome profiles. But how could we see this influence actual drug development itself? So I think we're a little bit, we're still quite a way away from that you measure somebody's gut microbiome and tailor a treatment to that i think that's that that's we're still quite away away but what i do see is uh based on this paper um a that you can probably assess whether a new drug for example if you're looking at a phase three drug and you hope that it um improves your health that um that it also that's that, that it's also reflected in your gut microbiome so um, that um, you know, when you take this drug, that you see the the uniqueness increase, and um, and that in the in the counter side again, you could also see maybe the gut microbiome as a side effect. So if you see that, um, uh, yeah, you take this drug and yeah, it works, and your clinical endpoints are met, but it has very bad effects on your healthy aging. So um, it has uh, your uh, uniqueness really decreases. Um, that would be a, uh, a point of concern in your drug development, right? So I think the uh, same for um, metabolic age. I think uh, if, if we, if you, with the metabolomics and the readout, um, I think we could do the same parallel. So a drug has to when you develop a drug and it meets your clinical endpoint, it also should decrease your biological age. If it's actually increasing your biological age, then even though you're meeting your clinical endpoints, you might have to second guess whether you want to prescribe this drug as a, as, as a doctor because you, 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 your patient still might die sooner. So this is where I, I think this is a, a fascinating uh, aspect of how... Uh, um, biological, the biological clock, healthy aging using the gut microbiome can be used in in phase three, phase three drug development. Uh, I don't know what you think, Tom. No, I I, I think I I agree. I th- to me, a lot of this is 
relatively new. And I think just the sheer observation that we report that this happens in midlife much earlier than people often start thinking about uh, healthy aging is is already kind of an interesting thing when we actually should start looking at the microbiome in the context of health and wellness long term and chronic conditions and etc. And the fact it starts in midlife, I think, is uh, very interesting. It's going to kind of change how, hope, hopefully, how we actually assess certain drugs, like you said, Dennis. But I also agree that this is all very early in the process. Just I had one question, and it was really related to how this correlates with genetics, right? So are, you, are people genetically predisposed to uh, live longer or uh, are there any uh, correlates between genetics and the microbiome and the metabolome uh, that can predict that? Uh, so maybe maybe I'll answer and Dennis, you can definitely chip in uh, if, if, for your opinion. But um, so I, there's a few points that I think are quite interesting. The first one that there is a genetic component to longevity, and there's several different studies, and it's often studied in the context of how long did your parents live? And that's how you look for younger people who have that longevity phenotype. And there's certain SNPs that have been consistently associated with longevity as well. And one of the metabolites, plasma metabolites, that has shown the strongest association with uniqueness is a lone longevity biomarker, phenylacetylglutamine. And the way you define this longevity biomarker is it's higher in centenarians, but also it's higher in the offspring of centenarians relative to age match controls. And that's what we see with this metabolite. And it's a metabolite microbial in origin and strongly reflects this uniqueness pattern. But the flip side of this is that generally genetics in terms of the gut microbiome show very little to no signal. There's very little genetic predisposition that shapes our gut microbiome, or at least the way we think about it now. With these new metrics that we're creating, with uniqueness being one of them, it's likely that perhaps now we'll find this genetic signal that wasn't there before when you focus on specific microbes or specific genetic pathways. But at present, we still, we still see very little correspondence between the gut microbiome and genetics. Well, I, th- I, th- I, 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 I agree that I, I, I think that, um, well, we, we, of course, saw a long time ago or not a long time ago, five, five years ago, six years ago, that there were some big papers on the plasmid metabolome uh, being highly correlated uh, to the genome. But, um, and there are papers that show the genetic correlation um, with uh, longevity. However, I think, as Tom points out, that uh, I I am hesitant on how much genetic um, how much the gut microbiome is actually determined by the human genome. Um, if you talk about genetics, actually, you know, I don't know that that's a question for Tom. Are you planning to go more into the 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 genomics of 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 uh, of the uh, gut microbiota, are you planning to go into? Is that the next step? I was wondering. That was my next question. What is the next step for you guys? Uh, so that's a really good question, Dennis. Thank you. There are certain efforts in our institute that are looking at this metabolite gut microbiome genetics connection, which I'm not uh, that actively involved in. What we've been really shifting our focus on, and what we hope to achieve in the coming years, is. Uh, proving this concept that 
there's certain aspects of the gut microbiome reflected in plasma metabolites that are universal across the world. Uh, and there's some evidence, for example, from the Twins UK cohort looking at alpha diversity, they see some of the same biomarkers uh, associated with alpha diversity as we do, for example, hippurate being one of them. But we still don't know if the same metabolites reflect the state of your gut microbiome in hunter-gatherer communities or certain Asian populations that have very different gut microbiomes. If we could prove that there's some consistency, some funneling of different microbiomes producing the same metabolites at similar concentrations, then we become very close in defining a more universal healthy microbiome. And that's where our efforts are geared towards right now. That would be really, really awesome. And I would love to have you back on to talk about that too. I think, um, you know, we're planning on talking about alpha diversity on a future podcast. And I'd love to talk about not just alpha diversity, but um, really microbiome across the world and potential for a universal healthy gut microbiome. Yeah, that would be great. We're, we're not, not anywhere close to that yet, but that is the, the bold vision we have. Well, we have run over. Um, so I guess I'll ask you, is there any other questions that you have for each other? Uh, anything else you, you think we need to cover or talk about? Just thank you for a really nice discussion, guys. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, have to, I have to say that I actually learned a lot today. <laughs> thanks for coordinating it, Bobby. And yeah, thanks, Tom, uh, Thomas and Dennis. It's really great talking to you guys. That's it for this week's episode of Closer to the Phenotype, brought to you by Metabolon, where scientists discuss and debate recent publications while illuminating the future of multiomics research. If you love the show, please rate us on iTunes so that we can continue to deliver amazing episodes. You can also visit our website, metabolon.com, to subscribe and never miss an episode. While there, check out our other resources like ebooks and webinars that expand on some of our more than 2,000 publications. You can also follow us on social media at LinkedIn and Twitter. If you have an idea for the show, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at podcast at metabolon.com. That's M-E-T-A-B-O-L-O-N.com. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Bobby Wiggs, inviting you to tune in next time. And I'd like to extend a special thank you to, to Chad Crouch for Algorithms, the intro and outro music.